if I had that magic wand, like you said, and I could, I could change things, I think what I would change is that everyone was able to have enough introspection where they would say, I am struggling with so many things right now. I bet that everyone else is too. And what kind of compassion would I like to feel towards my struggles and what type of empathy would I like to feel from someone else? And how could I extend that to some, to, to another person? And I think that judgment would largely, you know, go out the door and we would just say, hey, it's all good. How can I help? Instead of, well, what did you do wrong? You know, it's we need to get over that. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. I'm excited to have you here. If you are a newbie, thank you for finding your way to it. Uh, it is a show that produces a couple episodes every week, usually about an hour long, talking about anything about the LDS Church, right? The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the not to be mentioned as uh, more, the Mormon Church, but sometimes we do that because we're talking about historical stuff. That's something that we're want to do here. Uh, we are a faith-affirming show available in podcast form. You can find us on Patreon. You can find us in groups on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram and also on Twitter as well. A huge presence in all of those places and hope that you will uh, take the time in wherever you social media lies and uh, follow and uh, interact with us there. Won't you? Won't you please? You do reviews? We'd love a review as well uh, wherever you're getting this episode, especially Spotify and over there on Apple Podcasts. Take a second. It always asks you, take that second. Make a new year. New you. New you in the new year. Here's another episode of the Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I am excited for this episode because I have scoured the internet over, and I found the, he didn't put the the, but I did, the LDS psychologist. <laughs> uh, you can find him online, LDSpsychologist.com. It's David T. Morgan. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you for coming, or thank you for bringing me on. Well, listen, I both uh, came to this conversation <laughs> and brought you, so you were right in both purposes. I need to know before we go any further uh, what your initial, middle initial stands for. It stands for Thad, okay, as in Thaddeus. But not Thaddeus, my, uh, you were just Thad. No, just Thad. It's my, my maternal grandfather. He uh, died before I was born. He died when my mom was in college in a car accident and he was known as the Catalina cowboy. He was a radio personality in Southern California and that's where I got my singing voice from. Hmm. So whenever, whenever someone compliments me on singing, I say that's grandpa Thad. So now, I tell now, my mom, I can't wait to sing a duet with him in the, in the hereafter. So now with that singing voice, has that uh, allowed you different opportunities say within the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Uh, yes. Uh, so my, I, I got all my education at BYU. And so in the, so it was 10 years of, of uh, schooling there in my eighth year. So my, my 10th year, I was actually off campus. I was doing a, an internship in my eighth year. I'm singing in a group with some guys just at my ward level. And one of the guys says, Hey, why aren't you ever auditioned for one of the BYU vocal groups? And I said, I don't know. And so I did. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I, uh, I end up, um, through a number of auditions, I end up standing in uh, Mac Wilberg's office, um, just he and I, and auditioning for the concert choir or men's chorus, one of the two. And and he says to me, well, what, what song are you going to sing? And I think it was, I need the every hour or something. And he says, what key? And I'm such a greenhorn. And I'm just like, uh, the key, it's in the hymn book. And <laughs> he kind of looks at me cross-eyed, you know, like, who's this guy? Because everyone else is preparing like these arias and, and all these things. 
And so he says, what, what part are you? And I told him, so he just starts playing it on the piano, no music in whatever key he thought was best for a tenor. And, um, and as a result of that, I was in the concert choir uh, with Mac Wolberg for one year. And that's my biggest regret. I could have been singing for eight years at BYU, but that was, that was awesome. And I always felt like I was always the one that was flat. Whenever the tenors were flat, I felt like he was looking at me. He just stare over, you know, pyramid. I'm like, Okay, I'll leave. I promise. I'll leave. I'm sorry, Mac, and and a nicer guy and a more genius of a guy. I don't know that oh, you could my meet. Heavens. Yeah, and 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 very perfectionistic, and 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 that's why he gets such amazing choirs is because he just he demands perfection. Uh, people can actually search. We had Mac and uh, Ryan Murphy into the cultural hall a little while back when they had an album coming out, and you can hear even the perfectionistic in the way that he speaks about. <laughs> Uh, things and 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 yes. uh, addresses the things. Uh, be sure to check out that episode. We're, we we can't walk past the fact that you spent ten years at BYU, technically nine, yeah. and then one year, <laughs> you know, out and about. With that much BYU, are you still dyed in the wool blue, or did you say, "Look, they got all my money. They got that time. <laughs> we we need a break. Thank you." No, absolutely, 100%. Uh, for your listeners who can see, I'll lean back. You got my BYU shirt on. So that's, uh, um, yeah, I love BYU. Always have. Uh, my One of my goals was to be a professor at BYU, um, professor of psychology. It just wasn't to be. Uh, I In order to do that, I would have had to have get my, had to got my doctorate somewhere else hmm. um, because they don't want people who have, you know, like all BYU training going to BYU and teaching and so I, I applied everywhere else but BYU for my doctorate. And the only reason I applied there for my doctorate was the department chair said, hey, you, you, may, you may as well apply here anyway. I applied to 13 different places. I got accepted to University of North Dakota and BYU. And, and I was uh, born and raised in California. I did not want to go to North Dakota. And so uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing against any North Dakotans, although I had a sister that lived in North Dakota, two sisters that lived in North Dakota, and they both confirmed for me that... Uh, yeah, it's uh, Utah was better. So it's nowhere you want to live, David. Trust us, we live here. It is nowhere you want to live. No shade on North Dakota. There are parts of North Dakota that are gorgeous, right? Like absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, South Dakota. Yeah, like the south part yeah. of <laughs> that's right. North Dakota. Just go a little further south of North Dakota, and you get to the beautiful part. So I right here. If we had any North Dakota <laughs> listeners, they're gone now. David, yeah, I'm excited right. for this episode because I think we're going to get into some pretty serious things. Uh, I know that we'll have a good time talking about it, but I want people to know that. Um, that that my hope is, as we spend this hour almost together, that we can talk about some really serious issues within the church, uh, and also some things that I think continue to show up uh, within the culture of the church that I think does more harm, um, certainly, than good. And and, yeah. and most recently, you know, one of the things that I, when I say harm out loud, I think about uh, in the last week or so uh, from this recording, Jana Reese uh, over at Religion News put out uh, an article about that um, several Gen Z members of the church feel like the church has in some way, and unfortunately the documentation on the particular study that she shares doesn't go on to explain it, but, but talks about how uh, the church has done harm to them. Um, I know that it's not your study, nor have you seen it, but I would be curious to know when when we look at like re religious groups uh organized religion in general i think that they oftentimes are the 
the whipping post for these folks yeah. are doing harm to people. And so maybe let's just dive right in there. I did not waste any time by doing <laughs> some light questions. I hope you enjoyed the uh, questions about BYU for 10 years, because that's as light as this is going. <laughs> but but w- when we talk about, you know, the, these groups, institutions, organizations, um, these years of, of certain beliefs doing harm, first of all, explain how that, how that can occur, because I know that it does. And then let's talk about what we can do to counteract that or to rid ourselves of it. Sure. So it, it, it is interesting because you get what, what ends up being is this research is most of the time it's a little more anecdotal. It's kind of case study. It's people saying, hey, this has harmed me. And then and that, that becomes very popular, you know, to say that that I've been damaged by these, you know, large organizations that have such significant demands and expectations and things like that. Um, I actually, when I was doing my master's degree, um, did some original research for my thesis, and we looked at the correlations between religiousness and and different indicators of mental health. And basically what we found was um, what caused the most disruption was when you are behaving inconsistent with what you believe. That and, and, And in psychology, they call it cognitive dissonance. It's where you think one thing, but you're doing something else. And it creates kind of this mental friction that ultimately over time becomes unsustainable. We don't like it. We don't like the way it feels. And so either we have to change what we're doing or change what we believe. And I think that's probably what's happening in in the church is you have people that their behavior is inconsistent with their beliefs. There's there's an amazing devotional, BYU devotional. It was 2018, Lawrence Corbridge. It's called Stand Forever. And it's, it's become one of my absolute favorites. He was a member of the 70. I think he's emeritus now. Um, but he said that the problem, he says, we almost always behave consistent with our beliefs. The problem is we believe things that aren't true. He says, we need to narrow, we don't need to narrow the gap between our behavior and our beliefs. We need to narrow the gap between our beliefs and the truth. Because in as much as we're believing things that are untrue, we're going to, you know, end up having behaviors and then subsequent emotions that are going to be, you know, difficult to deal with. And so, and so I, don't, I don't know if that's the answer, but I wonder, because, you know, cognitive dissonance goes back to Adam, you know, I mean, this every human being who's existed has experienced that to some degree. I think if you firmly believe something and you're acting in accordance with that, then I think you're going to be fine. But if your belief is somehow different and then you're and then you're acting like if you believe that the church isn't true but you're acting like it is true Mm -hmm. then i think that can create dissonance or if the opposite is that you know if you believe the church is true but you're acting like it isn't true that can create some dissonance so i wonder if that's i think that's why president nelson has been pleading with members of the church to increase their ability to receive personal revelation he's like make sure that what you know in your mind is is really what you know and if you believe something that's different then you know, there's other churches, there's other belief systems, and you can go to those, and that's okay. I think so often when I hear the term cognitive dissonance, it, it shows up in one of two places, in either uh, the historicity of the church, right, where we believed something, and then we find out that something is not as we thought that it was, um, or uh, I also hear cognitive dissonance in the venue of like LGBTQIA plus issues, um, in that we we as individuals feel differently towards those that are our brothers and sisters than how we feel like the church 
interacts with LGBT, you know, and, and those kind sure. of things. And so, and so those dissonances um, come up and, and, and some people are able to couch that dissonance in a, in a time of like, well, how I act is different than how the church is. And maybe they're coming around or it's an old guard or revelation is ongoing. And some people can't kind of adhere to that. We'll wait and see. It's a, I need this dissonance to be resolved now. Is there, is there any sort of advice that, that you have or that you give to, to, um, to help those in, in either of those dissonant situations? Well, the, the dissonance that, I think the dissonance that causes real distress is the internal dissonance, not the external dissonance. It's not dissonance between my beliefs and someone else's beliefs. It's the, different, it's the dissonance in my own head between my beliefs and what I'm doing. And so I think the best thing that people do is to resolve that. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I years and years ago, I was uh, in a counseling situation and I had a... Um, person come in who was having an affair with her boss Mm. and um and she was having a lot of anxiety and i said well um how do you feel about extramarital affairs and she says i I think they're wrong you know i I, i'm a christian and i and i believe that that's the wrong thing to do and i said well you need to you know then you could stop doing this but if i stop i'm afraid i'm gonna get fired you know if you because the boss liked it like the situation a lot better than she did and i said well so it seems to me you've got a couple of choices here. You can either change what you're doing or change the way you feel about affairs, you know, because if you change one of those two things, then there's no more dissonance, you know, because if you become the person that says, hey, I love affairs, I think they're fantastic, then, hey, you're like a pig in mud and you're going to be able to do what you want. Or if you say, hey, I, I don't like affairs and so I'm going to stop having affairs, then you're like, okay, now my, my behavior is consistent with my beliefs. She didn't like that very much. She never came and saw me again. Which <laughs> I guess she didn't want to hear that on the first session. Um, but but I really think that was the correct thing to say because that's where that has to be resolved. And so my suggestion to people is figure out what you believe and then go and then go with it. You know, and if those beliefs are consistent with the church, fantastic. And if they're not consistent with the church, then then you need to be true to what you believe and and go, you know, go figure that out. I like how you walk that out. It seems almost too simple. As a as a gentleman who <laughs> thrives in this uh, this period of what he feels like to be stuckedness, right? Uh, if I showed you all the books that I listen to on Audible, there's the, a theme of get, uh, you know, get out of your own way of, you know, being able to take action on the things that you know are right. Like it, it, it is book after book, you know, uh, about those things. And I know I'm not alone because most of these are New York time bestsellers. Um, <laughs> what advice do you have for those like in that situation? Right. I mean, it's a very real, I won't have a job if I stop doing this thing or the reality that that could come to pass. And I have this other thing that I'm doing that I hate myself, you know, in, in a lot of ways, a self-loathing, a hatred for one's own right. self doesn't have to be an extramarital affair. It can be something much lighter than that. It can be anything. But yeah. that we just dwell in that space of not taking any action to feel better about it, but also not retreating from the thing so that the situation doesn't occur anymore. Yeah, it's um, it's very, uh, I guess it's, I want to say comforting, but I don't know if that's the right word. It's comfortable to sometimes be in that stuck position because we don't want to necessarily have to make a move. Um, I don't, I don't know if you remember the movie, Mr. Mom years mm-hmm. ago with Michael Keaton. Of course. Um, and yeah, totally. Right. I mean, the great, great movie from the eighties 
and uh, one of his little boys has this blanket that he calls his whoopee, right? Mm -hmm. And this thing is just destroyed, you know, it's been torn to pieces, it's been stapled back together, and, uh, you know, it's dirty, it really doesn't fulfill any of the purposes of a blanket anymore. It's not warm, it's not cuddly or anything, but he loves it. It's his whoopee. And at one point, dad, Michael Keaton comes to him, he says, you know, it's probably time to give up the Woody. And the kid says, no, you know, he doesn't want to do it. And he finally is able to coax it away from him. Um, the Woobie is what's comfortable to him, but it doesn't provide any of what he wants. The only way out of that was to move forward. And I know a lot of the time we get stuck because we think, well, both outcomes, or, or we look at the options and we say, neither of those options is, um, is what I really want. So I'm going to wait for that third option that comes that's going to be amazing, that's not going to have any consequences. And most of the time, that third option doesn't come because life is about difficult choices. And, and if you believe that we're here to become stronger and to become like our Heavenly Father, which is true, of course, there's not going to be just easy option after easy option after easy option. Every single crossroads you come to is going to be, it's going to be a hill on that side or a hill on the other side. And you got to choose which hill you want to go up. Um, but we get stuck at those crossroads because we say, well, surely there's the option that doesn't have a hill. Hmm. Surely hmm. there's the option that that's just nice and smooth and gets me to where I need to go without difficulty. So I think if we can kind of get past this idea that life was designed to be simple or that, or that the best way through life is the path of least resistance. And those are both um, their deceptions because the best way through life is the path of at least godly resistance. The one he says, well, you go this way and it's going to get you where you told me you wanted to be when you left my presence in the first place. Um, and you know we've since forgotten that, but that's still where we wanna get. So that's my advice to people is that Pretty much when you're in a difficult situation and both options seem challenging, you got to choose one and, and staying there, you can stay there, but I'll come back in five years and you'll still be there um, because there's that third option isn't going to open up. You have to choose and you got to move forward. Is is that perception, do you feel like a, a deception, a trick that the adversary uses to keep us from growing and, and greatness? 100%. Yeah. I mean, that the idea of us remaining stuck, um, I think is totally is totally him. You know, back in the pre-existence and the war in heaven, that was fought over agency. And he wanted to destroy our agency, just to have us handed over and, um, and then he'd be in charge and get the glory. Well, we know he didn't win. And so here spoiler. we are now. Spoiler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's another spoiler. He's not going to win either. Ah! You know? <laughs> Sorry. Now I don't need to watch the sequel. That's right. Like Elder Holland says, you choose your jersey now, but you know who's going to win. So just yeah. be careful which jersey you put on. Um, but now his, I think Satan's approach is much more subtle because he can't destroy agency. But if he can get you to abandon it, then it's the same outcome. Hmm. you know. And if he can get you to say, well, I can't change or I can't choose. Or, or this is an impossible choice, so I'm not going to choose, then what's the point of having the power of choice in the first place if you're just going to sit at the crossroads? Now, and I and I know that some people might listen to this and say, well, you're, you're making it sound too easy or you're making it oversimplified. Um, I'm not suggesting it's easy in the least. It, some of these decisions where you sit at those crossroads are the most difficult decisions you're going to make in your life, but they don't get made by themselves. And they almost always result in subsequent difficulty, which then results in growth. 
Um, I, I just have this firm belief that after this life, we're going to sit down with Heavenly Father and he's going to show us each one of those crossroads. And he's going to show how that road taken took us to some, you know, lofty achievement of, you know, greater empathy or greater discipline or whatever it is. And we're going to say, I'm so glad that I took that road. And the longer we sit at the crossroads, you know, the less happiness potentially we have here or the less growth we get to do in this life, which may impact our hereafter. So, yeah, I, I think that Satan is very, very clever. And he just says, oh, just, hey, just stay here. No need. You don't have to decide just yet. You know, what's the rush? I want to Five take a break. Years later. Yeah, yeah I <laughs> okay. want to take a break on that note. Uh, and when we come back in the second block, uh, maybe we change subjects a little bit. Maybe we get into another one of these really just easy softball questions. Uh, David, will come back right. and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, we've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington uh, all of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, if you have not yet become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, I encourage you to do so. You can go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It gets you access and easy access, I should mention as well, uh, to all of our first 300 episodes, which you can get other ways, but I'll tell you what. It's so cumbersome, it's not worth it. But if you become a Patreon saint, it's easy. Boom, boom, boom. On your phone, wherever you listen to the Cultural Hall, you can have access to those. You can also be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group, and you get to see the videos of each of these episodes. So I encourage you to do it. Guys, this isn't free. My time isn't free. You might as well pledge a couple bucks so that I don't just one day say, forget it, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Uh, we got the descendant of the Catalina Cowboy, Thad, David Thad Morgan himself. I want to talk about how it seems like in the last decade, since I began doing the Cultural Hall in um, 2011, the experience that we have had with mental health, both mental illness and mental uh, health, um, being able to seek therapy and the discussion around therapy within the church has grown exponentially. Yeah. Uh, I think the first thing that I remember, maybe October 2013 of Elder Holland, yeah. Elder uh, Holland. In, in one of like his... Like a broken vessel. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
talking yeah. about, hey, this is something that I've struggled with and 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 sort of opening the floodgates to it. Uh, I can think of talk uh, of Sister uh, Abuerto um, yeah. and other folks. Their father about- that committed suicide. Yeah, that was I was shocked when I heard that over the pulpit. I thought, whoa, you got to be kidding me. I thought it was wonderful that she disclosed that because typically, like you said, prior to really Elder Holland, we didn't we didn't talk about it. we knew it was there but we didn't talk about it much yeah it was talked about in hushed tones if it was talked about right. uh, and with a lot of shame in some instances you know where things were oh you just don't believe hard enough you don't right. pray right. this you aren't fasting this uh where today i think some of that still lingers within the church yeah. um but it certainly has has gone away what on on sort of the clinical or your perspective how have you seen things change? Let's go the last decade or or even since we've joined this new millennia since the year 2000. Yeah, so definitely there's become kind of a greater acceptance and um, I guess embracing of just the fact that, that mental health issues do exist and that it's not shameful to talk about. Although I would say that we're just slowly coming out of that because still, um, you know, if someone talks about, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a therapist, there's still just a little element of shame with that. Um, and, and I don't know why I think it's, I think it's kind of twofold. One thing, one thing that drives me crazy, quite frankly, is that everyone thinks they're a mental health expert. Um, you know, <laughs> well, they say, well, I've got well, I read this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I read this. And so therefore I know this about mental health and, um, but yet people don't do the same thing with physical health. You know, they don't say, well, I, I learned this about cancer. So therefore I'm going to go talk to my neighbor about it and see if I can find some, you know, medicine from Canada to, uh, you know, to get to him so he can feel better. But, but if it's a mental health issue, then we figure, well, why would we need to bring in a professional? Because clearly we can all do this. And I, maybe it's just because it seems um, so much more under our control because it really is, you know, largely a process of our thoughts. And then, but, but we know that it's so much more than that. The other thing then is because we think it's within our control, then we think, well, then I shouldn't have to get help from someone else mm-hmm. because I, I didn't do anything to get my cancer, although that's not necessarily true, right? Because sometimes we can do things that will result in physical health problems. But the same thing with mental health, we say, well, I must have done something. I must have not been faithful enough. I must have read the wrong types of books or not read the right types of books or whatever it was that has resulted in this mental health condition. And so then we think, well, so if, I, if I'm weak, if I can't fix it myself, and then that just becomes this perpetuating downward cycle where we don't ask for help, we get worse. We feel even worse about asking for help because then we feel you know, like you know, we're just not up to it. And so that, that, is, that is changing, which I'm grateful for. The other thing though that is changing that I'm less grateful for is this, the pendulum is swinging too far to the other side because in some instances we say, Hey, if you have mental health issues, that's totally fine. That's totally great. And there's nothing you have to do about it. Hmm. You know, it's just the way you are. Don't worry. You know, everyone get off your back about trying to do any, make any sort of changes or trying to make any sort of improvements. You have these issues. There's nothing you can do about it. And I think that's a dangerous place to be as well. Um, Because like we talked about, that would be dangerous. Oh, um, just for for anxiety disorders, for example. So let's say someone is um, they have a panic disorder where they have panic attacks, and so they you know don't want to go into crowded places, uh, won't go into a grocery store, something like that. And so someone says, 
well, hey, would you like to come shopping with me? Well, I can't go. I have, I have panic disorder. Well, what does your therapist say? Well, my therapist, therapist would say that I probably need to go shopping because that will help me, you know, deal with that and, um, and eventually get over it. But I can't. It's just nothing I can do about it. Where it's dangerous then is then no change happens. And 10 years later, that person hasn't made any changes because they haven't done the thing that scares them. Um, and I'm not suggesting they have to run right into a, you know, you know, the conference center at, you know, general conference you know, pre-COVID, you know, with 21,000 people, you know, um, but maybe they go into a 7-Eleven when there's eight people in there and deal with that. And then they, you know, move up to a Safeway or something like that. So the dangerous part is that when we think we can't change, then we're not going to do anything to change. And the less we change, the less we become like our Heavenly Father. So um, it's just that whole idea of there's nothing I can do about this. And again, like we talked about before, I think that's a deception because there's always something we can do. Even if it's small, even if it does, even if it barely moves the needle, there is always something we can do. And I think acting is is better than than not acting in those cases. How do you feel like we're doing? One of the things that becomes particularly sticky for me is as we talk about like mental health, mental wellness, um, and and its intersection with the churches. We talk about like bishops as uh, counselors, and we talk about going. You know, if you have marital problems, to go see the bishop. And in a time of yesteryear, it was that was the yeah. counselor that you would go to. He'd be nine to five at the garage fixing your Chevy, and then right. from six to nine, he's counseling with the, those sort of marital couples, and, and you know, having strife and and those things. And and to me, that's a thing that um, I feel like we're getting better at. But I still hear it where it's like, well, we went to the bishop and we couldn't figure anything away from that. And it's like, because your bishop's a lawyer. Your bishop <laughs> is, right. a, you know, he's a CEO of a startup <laughs> company. That that person is not a, a, a psychotherapist. It's not a psychologist. He's not a therapist. That is a person who works on machines all of the entirety of the day. Are, are we making growth in, in that way of, of letting bishops be bishops and, and therapists being therapists? I sure hope so. And, and I think that's going to vary from bishop to bishop, um, you know, what they decide to do. I, I imagine that, um, well, you know how it is. I mean, the church training in the church is, uh, you know, it's like you get called and set apart and, and, you know, sustained and set apart. And then there you go. You know, here's, here's your new calling. I, I taught seminary for early morning, seven or four and a half years, loved it, but there was no training going into it. They just said, you can teach, right? Okay, good. Well, just go do it every morning for, uh, you know, five days a week and yeah. entertain teenage <laughs> and, and, kids. Good luck. That's right. Old Testament's where you start. So here you go, you know, get, get right into that. Um, it was wonderful. It's one of my, it was my easily my favorite calling, but um, we, we tend to have difficulty with training. I think that's getting better too with online resources and those sort of things. It's not the, the ancient oral tradition like we used to have, or, or even, you know, handbooks that not people didn't have access to. I mean, all that's available to any man in whether you're a member of the church or not um, to be able to see that. I think one of the problems that, that bishops and other leaders might have is just feeling that they have to be everything to everybody, yeah. which you don't. And, uh, and even in the new, the new direction for bishops, is it talks about how you can um, you can choose members of your ward to and ask them to counsel with other with members you know on things. Um, someone and I've 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 been asked to do that by our bishop on several occasions. He's been working with someone uh, or people at times on issues, and then he says, "Hey, Brother Morgan, would you 
um, be willing to meet with this person, you know, every other week and just talk about doctrine or talk about this or talk about that. It's like, yeah, fantastic. And inevitably it becomes, you know, uh, I mean, my expertise comes into that and we can um, do some helpful things in those kind of those friendly chats. But uh, the bishop doesn't have to be everything to everyone. Elder Kopischke in, I think it was last general conference, he uh, talked about mental health as well. And he made this great quote. He says, information precedes inspiration and revelation. Hmm. And I think that's what every church leader needs to know is that if you don't have the information, then the revelation, the Lord's not going to say, look, I know you don't know anything, but here I'm just going to pour revelation into your brain so you can help this marital couple when he knows that there's a marriage counselor right across the, you know, right across town who can help them. Just like if someone, you know, cuts their leg open in the bishop's office, the bishop's not going to receive revelation on how to set a bone and how to stop bleeding and how to suture it up and everything. Say, hey, we didn't have to send you to the hospital um, because I, I got the revelation on how to be a surgeon. Um, it, it doesn't work like that. And it doesn't work like that with mental health. We reach out what they call the Lord's storehouse. You know, you reach out and everyone's expertise comes into play. So, so I hope that that is, I hope if there's any bishops or stake presidents listening, you don't have to be everything to everyone. Find some, you know, local people that you trust and, and refer to them. It's an amazing principle, but worth diving just one more step into it. That, that isn't how our stories are told, though, David. The stories are told that in the need situation that the person was able to speak a lost language, you know, as we, as we, as <laughs> right, we urban right. myth these things. And I think I, I, it's funny as I bring it up, right? And that's part of the reason why I bring it up. But I really feel like there is some truthfulness to it in that that's why we act in such a way is yeah. we we think well if god really wants to do it he would make this thing possible for me and i love the idea that information has to be there in order for you to be able to do yeah. it yeah those what i like to call them faith promoting rumors yeah um, <laughs> you know just right just this these ideas of you know i mean i i was a missionary in mexico years ago and, um, and I, I think I did have the gift of tongues because I learned Spanish relatively quickly. I'd, I'd been there I, when I, when I landed, I, I don't know what they taught me in the MTC because it was not Spanish because I could not understand a thing that they were saying in Mexico city and Veracruz. I was like, I have no idea. And for the first several, for the first couple of months, I was pretty much lost. <laughs> in fact, uh, we, we taught this young woman, um, and she accepted an invitation to baptism. I, I made the invitation. She accepted it. And, uh, and it was great. And then I was in the same area like 18 months later. And by then my, my Spanish was excellent. And I saw her, I said, Hey, do you remember that time I taught you? And she says, yeah, she said, I didn't understand a thing you said, um, you know, because my Spanish was so terrible. I'm sure my, my native companion afterwards had to say, okay, what he really meant to say was this, do you still want to get baptized? Oh yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. I thought that's what he was saying. Um, and so, um, and so where, where was the, where was the miraculous intervention? Well, the miraculous intervention was, was through study and discipline, I was able to learn a language fairly quickly, um, all things considered. And, and it became, I, I loved it. I, I was thinking in Spanish, dreaming in Spanish. Um, by the time I left, I had to speak English with my English speaking companions because I couldn't remember English. By the time I was getting ready to go home, I said, I got to communicate with my family. I got to figure out how to talk English again. But that's that's how it usually happens. I was just thinking about President Nelson the other day. I was listening to a conference talk and it said how President Nelson communicates with God. Absolutely. 
But my guess is that most of the time he gets his revelation just like we do. Sister Nelson talks about how he keeps a, a notepad by the side of his bed because he'll wake up in the middle of the night and then he'll write something down. And it's not, you know, Jesus Christ coming and standing in front of him and handing him a, you know, a notepad that says, here's everything written down for you, you know, so you don't have to do anything. He's going to make him work for it, just like we work for it. And I'm sure there's other times when there are more miraculous, but most of the time, it's the miracle is just the mundane. It's just that we can achieve these things through time and effort. And that's how the Lord wants us to grow too. We grow through you know, through doing things over and over and, and learning line upon line and precept upon precept. So I just think that we need to, as members of the church, we need to remember that's, that's how the growth happens. And, and although the Lord could inspire a bishop to set a leg or to, you know, do marriage counseling or something like that, he's probably not going to because he's going to involve other people and it's going to be a blessing to them as well. And just any number of reasons why, why he wouldn't need to, you know, perform that amazing miracle in that moment. As we continue the discussion about mental health and you brought up missions, you know, a thing for a long time was the returning early. And I don't even like to use that term, but right. uh, you know, the, the missionaries who were called for 20 more, four months or 18 months and didn't serve that entire time, uh, the shame, the guilt, the, you know, exodus of the church that those individuals would find, uh, how, how are, or I guess better put, what are we doing differently now? And what can, if you could magic wand us into the future, what could we do continually or better than we're doing currently, um, to help those individuals who find themselves in those situations or those that don't even serve in, at all or in that right. typical capacity? Yeah, I think we're we're hearing the the dialogue change dramatically, you know, coming from the top down just about this. Um, Elder Holland has some great things to say about it in terms of, you know, people say, well, did you serve a mission? You say, yes, I did. You know, I, I heard of a ward. I, I hope this isn't true. Um, but I, I heard of a ward that if you didn't serve the whole 24 months, you didn't get your missionary plaque hmm. um, when you came home because, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't earn it. I'm thinking that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of because what purpose, what, what purpose that plaque served to anyone? So you got to, uh, you know, it's not like they can be melted down and made into something else. You got these plaques that are highly personalized with someone's picture and name and stuff on it. Um, and, and to, and to not give that to the person is just insult to injury. So hopefully that was something that was very, uh, <laughs> not, not true in the least. Um, I think that we need to recognize that everyone's struggling with something. Um, I was, uh, I'm in the bishopric right now, and I was sitting on the stand on Sunday uh, during the sacrament. And it's one of the, it's one of the nice things about being in the bishopric. It's probably the only nice thing because <laughs> everything else is, uh, is, is it's a lot of work. But uh, it's a lot of work. <laughs> but um, and I'm just looking into the faces of these people that I've known for you know 15, 20 years, and and I could tell you in probably 80% of the people I'm looking at, I could tell you a main struggle they're going through right now. Everyone in that room was struggling with something and something significant, not just something small. Um, and I could tell that, you know, they, and, and I knew that every single one of them had a prayer in their hearts thinking, help me, bless me for, you know, to this end, or help me that my son will come back to church or help me that my wife will be healthy again, or help me that I can cope with the death of my spouse or whatever it was, yeah. you know, like I said, there were dozens of, of circumstances. And so when someone comes home from a mission because of mental health reasons, I think all the further we have to look is inside ourselves and think, Hmm, what am I struggling with? 
what 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 type of thing is really knocking me down right now and that I'm you know barely able to get out of bed or put this smile on my face or even show up to church because I'm struggling so hard and can I just walk over to that that sister or that brother and shake their hand and say great job you know um you know I t- tell me about your mission I'd love to hear about it you know tell me some of the amazing things um I just think we need to recognize that the Lord, you know, the, I think Elder Holland talked about it as well. I keep going back to him, but he's talked so much about this. Um, he talks about the, um, the woman that comes in and anoints the savior prior to his burial. She breaks open the alabaster thing. And, and, uh, and there, um, I think it's Judas who's like, well, we could have sold that and given it to the poor. And, and he says, she has done what she, she has done what she could. Um, you know, she did what she could and use that to kind of expand and say, we do what we can. Sometimes that's a full 18 to 24 months. Sometimes it's less than that. Sometimes it's longer than that. Elder Sikahema just talked about Tongan missionaries who are on like the third year of their mission because they can't go home. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we do what we can. And, and there's no, and I, if I had that magic wand, like you said, and I could, I could change things. I think what I would change is that everyone was able to have enough introspection where they would say, I am struggling with so many things right now. I bet that everyone else is too. And what kind of compassion would I like to feel towards my struggles and what type of empathy would I like to feel from someone else? And how could I extend that to some, to, to another person? And I think that judgment would largely, you know, go out the door and we would just say, Hey, it's all good. How can I help? Instead of, well, what did you do wrong? You know, it's, we need to get over that. Yeah. I want to take another break. When we come back in the third block, there are three questions we ask everyone who steps into the culture hall. Plus I've got some other questions to ask you. We'll do that coming back in the third block. Oh, hey there. I wanted to remind you, you remember when we had uh, Portia Louder on episode 564 of the Cultural Hall, and she mentioned that she had that book. It's called Living Louder. It's available on Amazon, and she loved the Cultural Hall so much that she wanted to uh, let you know that if you email her, Portia, that's P-O-R-T-I-A dot louder, just like it sounds louder, L-O-U-D-E-R at gmail.com, she'll give you the audible version for free to anyone that emails her. So if you want to check that book out, you like that episode, and you like free stuff, why wouldn't you do that? It's Portia.Louder at gmail.com. She also would love it if you would purchase the book. It's available on Amazon, very affordable. Uh, you can get the paperback copy uh, so to be so you can have that in your collection. You can uh, reference it. You can be able to uh, pull it from the shelves and read yourself a story at night. Uh, It's called Living Louder. Find it on Amazon. You can find a link for it in the show notes. You can email Portia, portia portia.louder at gmail.com. Hey, this is Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. Ho, 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 Santa Claus is here! Have you been a really good girl or boy this year? Hold on to your elf! It's the Ultra Mega El Grande Fluffy Holiday Sale at PC Laptops on the best desktop and laptop computers on the planet. This is it! We have the brand new PC Laptops S1 desktop computer with a lifetime parts and labor warranty from $29 a month. You can also save up to 50% off our original prices on Open. Open box, scratch and dents, and demo models. That's right, up to 50% off. Plus, they all come with a lifetime service guarantee. Holy mackerel! To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptop's desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com, where we love you! 
Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if you like this episode, uh, good. It's a great episode. I hope that you will leave a review for the Cultural Hall. Now, here's a great thing. Uh, For a long time, you've only been able to leave written reviews uh, on Apple. Uh, But now, if you listen via Spotify, there is a place where you can rate and give reviews of episodes now. So I hope you'll do that if you are a Spotify listener or if you are an Apple listener for a long time and you haven't done that, uh, please take a minute. It... 50 words. If you think that this is a one-star program, I invite you to keep that to yourself and maybe think about how you think about other people and have a change of heart. But if it's a five-star, take an opportunity, uh, leave a review. Uh, We would love to hear that uh, and, you know, maybe share it in a future episode of the Cultural Hall. Uh, Mental health, um, so very important, and that seems ridiculous to say. Of course it is, just as physical health is important. Just as, you know, you've built your life around it, as you see people that that struggle, um, it baffles me that we still, in a day and in an age where we're talking about sending people to Mars, that this is something that we still find some just basic struggles with. When when you uh, allow yourself the opportunity to kind of look intrinsically uh, you know, look within yourself, be introspective and, and do the, those things. I I would hope I'm not amiss to know that you struggle as well, even though that this is something that you study, work and, and help others with. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's, people say, why did you go into psychology? And I think, I think first was what to figure myself out, <laughs> right, you know, to, to kind of deal with my own things. Um, most graduate programs require some sort uh, or graduate programs in psychology require you to at least go to a counselor and to and to talk about some things at the very least to kind of see what it feels like to sit in the other chair. Um, but, uh, you know, but to get some degree of understanding. And I think that is um, early in my career, I had some experiences. Uh, I was working with a guy and uh, we were doing evaluations on uh, on people in forensic populations. So let's people in jail and prisons and stuff like that. And, uh, and he sent me to the Utah state prison to do an evaluation on a fellow that reportedly only spoke Spanish. And so I'm uh, he actually spoke English very well. He's just trying to get out of the evaluation saying he only spoke <laughs> Spanish, but <laughs> so, so here I am sitting in the, in this big, um, I think it was like a, like a cafeteria type room um, waiting for this uh, fellow to be brought in. And I'm terrified. I'd never been inside a maximum security prison before. And this uh, guy comes out, he's probably about two years younger than I was. And, um, and we started talking and in English because he was English was great. And, and I just came to realize pretty soon that we weren't that different. You know, Mm -hmm. the the two of us were not that different. It's at very key junctures in my life. If I had gone a different way, I, I saw myself sitting there. Um, and so I think that's one of the things that's enabled me to, you know, to have a, a, a degree of empathy or a depth of empathy for people, because when people come in and sometimes they've done some pretty horrible things and you can say, well, how in the world could you talk with that person? Or how can you have empathy for that person? It's like, because I, th- this could be me, you know, in, in a, in a different situation, in a not very different situation, this could be me. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the ways that we can, I think, maybe get better um, empathy for people with mental health issues is just to look inside and see what we've got. 
the one thing I don't like about the older generation, and that's myself, I'm a, a 50, geez, 52, I'll be 53 this year. Um, so a lot of people in my generation look at the younger generation and they're just like, well, just buck up. Yeah. You know, just just put up, put on your big boy pants. You know, my grandparents were storming Normandy and and you're, you know, and you can't go into the 7-Eleven. Um, it's different now. I, I really think it's different. I think that mental health issues are um, more prominent now. I think they are. Um, and I think it's the Lord's way of giving us a way to struggle on top uh, in the midst of prosperity. Hmm. You know, Joseph Smith, there was struggle every day, right? Because you had to chop down a tree. And if you chop down that tree, you chop down the next one because you had to farm your land. And if you, and every season, maybe you got a crop or maybe you didn't, you know, I mean, so it was this constant living with uncertainty. There's no uncertainty now. I mean, there is, but it's not nearly as bad, right? I can track on my phone when my Amazon package is going to arrive. And boy, <laughs> if it takes longer than two days, I want my $99 back, right? Because yeah. that was, you know, because I paid for Amazon Prime. So you yeah. get me that package when it says and I'm on the phone, you know? Um, and so how can the Lord let me have Amazon Prime and still give me some of the trials that Joseph Smith went through. Well, he gives me mental health issues because mm. he says you can have those all day long. And so I really think that we are seeing an increase. And I don't think that it's just because there's better outreach or better understanding or more willingness to accept it. I just think it's the 21st century, you know, clearing a field or the 21st century handcart. Um, and so as, as older people, I think we need to look on the youth with compassion and instead of saying, just suck it up. Cause that's what I did in the 1980s. I just sucked it up. Um, say, what can we do to help? Um, also at the same time, encouraging them that they, they can do something about this and they need to do something about this. Just like if the Smiths didn't clear their land, then they didn't have a crop. We need to clear our land as it were, you know, and, and get to work on those mental health issues. Hmm. Uh, I have one last question before the three that I ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. Uh, if I were to turn on the news right now, I guarantee you that I could say our mental health is being affected because of the pandemic. We yeah. are in a time where this is the greatest concern more than the actual pandemic itself. Do you think that that is hyperbole? Um, the way you just said it? Well, <laughs> yeah. From that was that a little dramatic. We, from, yeah, from that yeah. which we say in in the news, I mean, uh, in the I, news, right? I just have echoed in yeah, some programs totally. what I've seen, where they have said, "Listen, there are this many million people that have died from right. COVID, but I can guarantee you that I, if I take statistic from this and this and this, more yeah. people have died because of the mental unwellness that has come from." Sure. Well, it's. Um, of course, it can be dramatized, but I don't think we should underestimate the effect that COVID-19 has had on mental health, and and it's going to be enduring. And there's no vaccine, right? I mean, it's not like you can, you know, you know, inoculate yourself against depression or anxiety or something. In fact, I think it was just um, a couple of months ago the Surgeon General, United States Surgeon General, issued a um, an advisory or something about mental health issues in the youth. Hmm. Um, and, and the type of thing that uh, the Surgeon General said, it's something that they don't say very often. It's this advisory or whatever it was. I can't remember what it was, but it's something that they don't, you know, they're not issuing them every week, you know? Um, and so that just kind of uh, underscored the fact of how serious this is. So I do think this is gonna be the next big thing that we have to deal with is we have to figure out, okay, how can we um, effectively help people kind of learn to, to, to deal with this. Um, most models now are using what they call the biopsychosocial model, 
um, where they're saying part of it could be chemical, part of it could be genetic, part of it could be environmental, part of it could be based in trauma, part of it could be, um, you know, the way you think about things. We need to address it from all fronts um, because because all of these things have a have a have a contributing potential contributing issue. We've been a little too simplistic in the past saying either, oh, you just need therapy or you just need medication. I think we're going to have to say, no, we need to look at all kinds of things um, in order to deal with it. So, yeah, I, I think it's something we're going to be talking about for the next five to 10 years for sure. And we'll be stronger because of it. I, I think it'll be great. Hmm. All right. There's three questions we ask everyone. The first question is, is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yes, I'm the first counselor on the Bishop Rick. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? So I, so I'd have to say, my father-in-law. This was the the calling he always wanted was ward critic. Um, <laughs> would, <laughs> um, I think that's in the custom callings though section. So <laughs> yeah. I would choose a early morning seminary teacher. That was my favorite one, and I'd do it again in a second. What particular subject? You mentioned Old Testament in our discussion. Oh yeah, Book of Mormon. Okay. Book of Mormon is my favorite. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the final question, we ask you to interpret however you may like, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? So my favorite part is kind of something we talked about earlier. I love that I can know the truth for myself, um, that that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't have to rely on what President Nelson says, or President Monson, or President Hinckley said, or what my bishop says, or my parents, I can know for myself. And I do know for myself. I've had so many experiences that have confirmed the truth of this, that if I show up on Sunday and everyone else in our ward is gone, and they've said, we're done, we're leaving the church, I will still show up. I'll come back every week because I know it's true. And I and I and and no one can take that from me. They can tell me I'm crazy. They can tell me I'm deceived. That's fine. But I know what I felt. I know what I believe. And, and I love that it is, um, that that's so personal to me that it's just, it's my own. Nice. Uh, you can find him online, LDSpsychologist.com. It's David T. Morgan. The T is for Thad, and don't forget it. Uh, encourage you to find and follow him on social media as well. It's at LDS Psychologist in all places, right, David? That's correct. And so people can find you there. I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.